0: Well, if you're joining with us for the first time this morning, we're, we're in the middle of this series on uh, King David. We called it The Life of a King. And uh, we've actually fast-forwarded a little bit over the last week. Uh, uh, Brian, our associate pastor, left us off last week with, uh, with King David uh, now free from uh, the, the threat of King Saul in his life. King Saul had died in battle. Uh, he and his three sons and what was left then was uh, King David now to be able to step into the the monarchy of Israel and Judah and David does this he's anointed by the elders uh, as as king and this morning we're going to open up God's word and we're going to find David's first act as this new leader of God's people and um, he does this thing with with all uh, with all good intentions and yet we're going to watch something uh, something Uh, Drastic go down Something that that, that is uh, life changing for David And so if you will turn with me to 2 Samuel We're going to read chapter uh, 6 2 Samuel chapter 6 And let's listen now for for God's word As we step into this This first occasion of David in his life as king Hear now the word of the Lord So David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on the new cart, brought it out of the house of Aminadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres, harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of God of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those were who were before the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and cat animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So this morning I want to talk with you about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. You ever make sense uh, of that word? You ever struggle to try to figure out what that word means in your life, the the holiness of the Lord? I feel like when when it comes to who God is, we can talk a lot about his attributes together. But when it comes to God's holiness, how do you unpack that? You know, God is good. We can check that box. We understand God's goodness. That's pretty easy to comprehend. God is love, that one's simple, right? Even like a a five-year-old can understand this concept of God being a a loving God, they can get that. But what do we mean when we say that God is holy? Look at this, 1 Samuel 2 2 says this, it says, there is none holy like our God. Last week, the the family and I took an early vacation, early spring break, and one of our pit stops along the way down south was the Grand Canyon. We drove like 14 hours to to get to this place. And as we're driving into the park, right as we get over the hill for like the grand view, we hit this snowstorm out of nowhere. wasn't forecast. And in one hour, it dumped almost four inches on us. We were driving in this pure whiteout. And as we're winding on these roads, I'm thinking to myself, no way is this happening. Like dad of the year moment, gone. Just as we get to the gate, the, the ranger, he... He said to me, he said, your timing is perfect. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He said, no, no, the storm's about to pass us. He said, everything I hear, he said, just give it an hour. The sun's gonna set. He said, the views are gonna be spectacular. So sure enough, we we drive up the road a little bit more and like 45 minutes later, the fog begins to lift and the most beautiful picture you've ever seen begins to emerge. The snow's covering the cliffs. There's this red, red soil, wet red soil all around us. There's these dark storm clouds contrasting in the distance. It was perfection. And I'm so caught up in this moment that I, I do what all preachers do. And I begin to preach. Um, I'm telling the girls, I'm like, do you realize the evidence of God in this place? To just look at the canyon, it shows us how good God is. And when you look at the wind and how the water carved all this art, I said, how can you not see His power and His might? I said, do you see it, Taylor, my eldest? I kid you not. She looks me dead in the face. She said, Dad, is a big hole in the ground. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that we have these glimpses, this this evidence of God's character and his being on this side of eternity, right? We call it the general revelation of God. And with it, you can grasp all around us who God is. You can look at a sunrise over the bridges and you can see immediate evidence that our, our God is a creating God. You can sit at a wedding and you can watch this couple stare at each other with love in their eyes and you can get a glimpse of what it is that God loves us. You can look out over a field just before harvest. You can understand God's provision and his abundance. But as I said, I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to talk about God's holiness today. See, and the challenge, I think, for us, again, is that the most difficult attribute of us to understand as God's people is us to wrap our minds around as God's church is that attribute of holiness, In our scripture this morning, King David has completely misunderstood what that word means. He's got all the right intentions, right? But he's misplaced that word holy in his worship. Remember, here's the context. Recap. David's finally made it as king. Just before our passage, we're told that elders had anointed him monarch over Israel in the house of Judah. He made it. King Saul had just lost in battle against the Philistines. His three sons are gone. Threat neutralized and just as God has promised, David finally arrives. 2 Samuel 5:4, look at this. It tells us David was 30 years old when he began to reign. Just think about that journey from shepherd boy to these battles with the Philistines and Goliath, the constant attacks of Saul and his life. And David's made it. And he wants to start out on the right foot, right? He's a man after God's own heart. And so his first act as king is to, to get this kingdom back to the worship of the Lord again. King Saul had nearly destroyed the faith of God's people. David wanted to reestablish the centrality of God's worship among the kingdom. So he gathers up, get this, 30,000 men. And he's decided he's gonna bring this Ark of the Lord into the middle of the city. Quick history lesson. You have to realize just how momentous this occasion was. This was a massive moment. It's hard to explain the significance of this passage. The Ark of the Covenant, remember, it was the most important item in all of Israel's history. Because the Ark was this box that held the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai, a copy of them among many other remembrances. And for a time, wherever God's people went, the ark was sure to go. It was this place of where God's holiness was manifest among the people. You can see here the the depiction. There's these angels, these carvings of angels on either end of this box. It had these rings on the side where these poles would be pushed through in order to carry it from afar. The only ones qualified to carry this ark through the streets were the priests, the, the Levite tribe of God's people. And to touch it, as we just read, was to die. And here's why. The most basic definition of holiness is to be entirely set apart, separated, consecrated. This ark was like a, a sacrimonial picture of God's grace to his people, of his presence among his people. It was for them to remember the, the holiness of God was before them in their midst. But for years now, the ark meant anything but that. It might as well have been a, a storage bin all the way up until this moment. You know, many years before this in battle, Israel flippantly brought the ark into the the war as like this supernatural shield against their enemies. They thought, it'll protect us. And in the fog of war, they lost it. The Philistines captured it. They brought it home. As a trophy, they put it into their God's temple. The only problem is, you mess with God's holiness, bad things begin to happen. So immediately, the the Philistines, they experienced these plagues and sickness. Every morning, they found the statue of their god, Dagon, broken on the ground, smashed. Mice had overrun all their fields. And so they put it on this cart. They were the first ones to do so, secured it to some oxen, and sent it off. And from that point forward, for decades, the ark was unseen. It was lost in, in the house of Abinadab, far from the view of God's people. In many ways, you could also say that if that's the symbol, if that's the sign of God's presence, then they had also probably left God himself behind. Saul was anything but faithful, right? So goes the leader, so goes the people. But now all that's passed. David's now up to bat. David does the right thing. He calls the nation together. He brings out the ark. These two men, Uzzah and Hio, they lead the parade back into the city and all is well. There's a literal celebration in the streets, right? Songs, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. But then one of the the oxen stumbles. Uzzah reaches out to catch his fall, touches the ark, and dies. The scripture tells us God struck him down there because of his error. Someone asked me earlier this week if I'm a hellfire and brimstone preacher and I told them no. Then I opened this passage and I'm reconsidering. (laughs) Now, just keep this real, right? This seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? I mean, David certainly thought so. Look at this in verse eight. It says, David was angry because the Lord had broken out against us. Keep going, look at this in verse nine. And then his anger turns to fear. He says, he was afraid of the Lord from that day forward, thinking, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? See, suddenly that the Lord was not who David thought he was. David had misplaced the holiness of God. When we think of that word holiness, you know, I, I feel like as a society, we've watered that word down. You know, we love the idea of God as friend, right? That's a biblical concept. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Or we love the idea of God's grace and mercy. It's warm and fuzzy. makes us feel good inside. We love that God is love. In fact, we'll take liberty in, in interpreting, interpreting that all over the place. It's been abused, that word. But then you turn to a moment in Scripture like this, and you think, whoa, time out. This is the God we serve. This is the God we've, we've come to worship. A man stumbles and gets the lightning bolt? King David's certainly thinking it. What does it mean that God is holy? I think before we jump into any quick conclusions about this scene, we've got to step back and look at the bigger picture together. Remember first as God's design, the ark was never supposed to be on a cart. Did you catch that? They're dragging the sacred through the dirt. The the, the ark was meant to be carried, right? The the idea was that you would would, would carry it on your shoulders in this this sacred, momentous practice. But the idea of a cart, that was a pagan idea. The Philistines started that tradition when they sent the ark back into Israel. And second, remember, the ark was meant to be carried by the Levites, a set-apart tribe of God's people, the priests, because it was wholly consecrated Space, right? And so just the act of pulling this cart was in and of itself profane. But David's missed all that. He's, he's turned it into a prop for a parade. And so when the Lord strikes, David's confused. He's angry. He's, he's scared. I want nothing to do with that thing. That box is unpredictable. The God I thought I knew, I'm not sure I know anymore. So he sends it down the road to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The Bible tells us there it rested for three months long. It's understandable, right? When I was a young boy, my parents put me in timeout and uh, I don't remember how I got there. In fact, I, I probably lived most of my adolescent life there in timeout. But this one time as I was sitting with my nose to the wall, I found this paper clip on the ground. And in my, my boredom and time outland, land, I, something inside of me said, I wonder what would happen if I stuck that paper clip into that light socket across the way from me. So I unfolded the paper clip and began to poke around the socket. And suddenly this wave of energy hit me. I mean, I still remember it was this shock to my entire being. I was physically shaking. And I remember thinking like, what was that? And that was the last time I stuck a paperclip in the light socket. It's a horrible analogy, right? But just consider this, like electricity in and of itself is not bad. We use it to power our homes, to light our living rooms, to cook our food, to keep us warm. The issue is, what happens when you no longer respect the electricity? See, we have to understand that the ark, the idea of God's holiness was disrespected, not just here, but over and over again in the history of God's people. First, it was tossed into some makeshift shield in battle. Then it was set before a a secular false God in his temple. Then it was tossed back out into someone's home to be forgotten about. It's pulled through the dirt by oxen like it was some grain cart the identifier of God's holiness. It wasn't the box that was worshipped. It was that this represented God's dwelling among his people and it was treated as cavalier. If you think of this as an ancient problem, just think of all the ways that we still see the name of the Lord misused. The presence of God misunderstood. the, The holiness of God drug through the mud. I was at a youth retreat with our students years ago. and At the end of the night, we were in this really, really powerful time of prayer together. One of the kids, he wasn't feeling it. If you've ever been in youth ministry, there's always one. And it was clear he had probably been there for other reasons that night, but it was his turn to pray. And so in his prayer, he addressed God. I don't remember exactly the words. It was something to the effect of, what up dog, how's the heavens treating you? And I remember in this address to the Lord, the, the leader of the night, he stopped everything cold flat and he looked intently across the room. He said, son, do you have any idea who you're speaking with right now? When we fail to see God's holiness in our lives, right, we, we compromise our worship. And in this case, we, we watch David compromise his relationship with the Lord. So three months go by, the, the ark is hiding back in this house And this report. Another confusing report comes back to David. Look at this, 2 Samuel six twelve It says, the Lord blessed the household where it resided. And it's because of the ark of God. Well, this is a new development, right? I thought the holiness was a bad thing. Now God's holiness is bringing blessings. I mean, if David wasn't confused before... See, Uzzah, he he didn't die because of God as a a smiting, destroying kind of God. Uzzah died because all of Israel and he failed to get the reverence and the holiness of the Lord. And David realizes in this moment, well, maybe maybe it's not God that did wrong. Maybe I shouldn't be angry. Maybe it was me. So I think so often we look at the world around us and it doesn't make sense. We, We wag our fingers. We think, Lord, how could you let this happen? Why would you do it like that? God, I'm not worshiping that God. And yet we forget it's God who is holy. Stop and look at this. I want you to see how David writes his wrong. It's, it's nuanced, but look at this in verse 12 to 13. So David went, brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. And when those who, were boring, who bore the, the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he stopped and sacrificed an ox. Notice this. How's the ark being transported now? It's no longer on the cart. See, it's now suddenly carried again as it was meant to be in reverence, not drug on the ground. And not only that, this time David is in such a posture of worship that he takes a mere six steps into the journey to Jerusalem. And he stops the crowd of 30,000, shuts the party down. And right there in the streets in worship, he offers sacrifice, worship to his holy God. You'll remember back in Genesis the the Lord worked for six days on creation and on the seventh he rested. It's almost as if David's nodding to the Lord saying, I see you this time. What would happen if every six steps, every six breaths in a day, every six miles in the car we stopped to consider the holiness of God? Later in Psalm 99, look at how King David realizes this. Look at what he says. He says, the Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the, the cherubim, the angels. Let, let, the, let, let the earthquake begin. The, the Lord is great in Zion. He's exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. I wanna wrap up our time with just two questions this morning. Really, these should be probably two questions that we look at in every, every sermon, every time we open up the Bible. And the two questions are this. One, what does this story teach us about the Lord? And two, how then should we live? Again, no analogy can come close to articulating what, what I'm trying to get at this morning. But just picture a man or a woman in, in the depths of the ocean before a massive whale, like the biggest whale you can think of. And just consider what that that would be like, the awe of that experience. They say the average whale spends 95% of its life under the ocean, right? And every so often, 60,000 pounds come out of the water for reasons scientists are still trying to figure out. The song of a humpback whale can go on for nearly a half an hour and it's still confusing. Experts still don't know the reason that it sings exactly. Just imagine yourself beside this mysterious thing in the, the depths of the ocean. And try to understand the helplessness, but also the astonishment, the spectacle of being in its presence, of being that close. The swing of its tail could kill you. And yet at the same time, somehow, even in that awe and that reverent fear, it's a privilege to be there. The picture doesn't even come close, right? But do you get where I'm going with this? Do we really comprehend who our God is? If that's what we think about a whale, how much more so the Lord? When you pray aloud in worship, when we sing praises to God in the car, when we're on our morning walk or in our evening commute, do we come to God with that kind of reverence and honor and praise? Reminded of the time that Moses stood before the Lord at the burning bush. Remember that? God said, whoa, time out. Remove your sandals. You're on sacred ground. See, God commands reverent worship. But if you think that makes God the bad guy, if if like David, that gets you a little riled up, maybe angry or confused, you think maybe I'm not sure I wanna worship that God, hear me out, this isn't the end of the story. See, here's the good news. That same God, knowing that you and I would never be clean enough We would never be able to ascend to him. That like Uzzah, if we came near to God's presence, we would be struck down in his holiness. He sends his one and only son, fully human, fully God, descends from on high, from his holy place down to us. And get this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same God and the sacrifice, the the blood of the lamb, chooses to make his dwelling, his temple in us. 2 Timothy 1.14, look at this. Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. Just try to wrap your minds around that reality. That's the God we serve. And if that's true, if you buy into that with me, then here's how we should live. Look at this in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, do you get this? You are a chosen race. You are now the Levites. You are a royal priesthood a set-apart nation, a people for his own possession. And if that's who God is, this is how you live, that you proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into that marvelous light. See, when we begin to comprehend this this holy God by, by the blood of Jesus Christ who has now set us apart, called us holy, by the mysteries of his grace, sinful and broken as we are, has made us a dwelling place for him. Well, now you begin to see life in a different light. In fact, look at this in verse 14. I'll show you what I mean. And David danced before the Lord, not flippantly, not irreverently. This time he does so with all his might. After this passage, Michal, his, his wife chastised him. She, she said, what you're doing is dishonorable. A king doesn't dance. You're a grown man. You look foolish doing that but in this newfound reverence there's this god honoring fear david doesn't care he's in full-fledged unabanded unashamed reverent worship remember that famous line in the lion which in the roar robe i've used it before it's one of my favorites in all of, of pop culture aslan is the lion right mr beaver says aslan is the lion he's the great lion And little Susan hears this. She says, wait, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver laughs. He says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Who is this God we worship? He is the very definition of holy. We could say, well, that means God is perfect, but that's not quite the description. We could say, well, that means he's devout and he's blameless, but that's, that's still not the full picture. We could say, well, that, that means he's righteous and he's pure, but that's not quite either. He is set apart, consecrated holy, in his holiness. And yet somehow that same God dwells in us. Every breath we breathe, every day we have, every, every minute we're given in our lives, that means we then live in the reverent praise and worship, giving glory and honor to him. Pray with me, will you? So God, we could sing your praises all day. We could talk about who you are. And I'm not sure we'd ever exhaust all the words. Lord, probably the most mysterious thing we can think about is your holiness. God, we know any, any analogy, any thought that we try to come up with to, to compare it, falls short. So Lord, we just say in this moment, you are Holy. And apart from you, we have nothing. Lord, we're in awe that we can, we can bring our sin-stained selves, our, the dirt of our hands and feet, be washed clean by you. Lord, that as we look to your, your baptism and we, we see that reality, God, we give you thanks that you set us apart. Lord, would you help us to to worship you, not not flippantly, but with every day in our lives in, in reverent honor before the King. God, that we would completely forget who we even are in the room and that we would be so caught up in who you are. Lord, that we would bring glory to your name. God, help us to think about what that looks like in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said,